Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning. Uh, For those of you who I have not had the pleasure of meeting yet, let me formally introduce myself. My name is Hayden Paul, and I am the new seminarian. I feel like I have a little bit of an in because like Nick, Beth's husband, I too am a Texas Aggie. So if you can grow to love him, I'm sure you can grow to love me. (laughs) And over the next year, for better or for worse, you and I will get to know each other well. I want to say thank you for the warm welcome that you have extended me thus far for bringing me into the fold, and I know that I am exactly where I am supposed to be, and I am so incredibly thankful for this opportunity. Every journey is a quest. At least that's what I think of when I think about the stories I was told as a child. Whether you're King Arthur in search of the Holy Grail, Frodo Baggins volunteering to destroy the ring, or Dorothy trying to get home, each one of these characters has a specific purpose in their story. What if we too are on a quest? If the stories of our lives, from birth to death, from ignorance to wisdom, from exile to return, can be described as a journey, then aren't we all on a quest? And let's be perfectly frank here, no quest is easy. Every day of our lives, we will face trials and tribulations that make us question everything. It may not always present as a dragon, Sauron, flying monkeys, or even a wicked witch, but by confronting these challenges, we are transformed. And through this transformation, we will no longer be the same person we were when the journey began. Our gospel lesson for today comes from the beginning of what scholars call Luke's travel narrative. It is the story of Jesus's journey from Galilee to Jerusalem a movement from the north to the south. It is a journey from the life he knew in Galilee to the death he will experience in Jerusalem. It is a story in which Jesus will be transformed from a prophet into the crucified Messiah, and Jesus' followers will be transformed from bystanders into disciples. On the journey to Jerusalem, we explore the mystery at the very heart of the Christian faith, the mystery of who we are called to be, and what we are called to do. I often wonder where Jesus found these guys. I mean, honestly, after all they had experienced, on a dusty road when a village does not welcome them on their way to Jerusalem, the disciples simply want to call down fire from heaven. They seriously asked Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Of course, Jesus says no to the disciples' request for violence and vengeance. In fact, he says no in the strongest terms possible. Luke tells us that Jesus rebuked them. In the Greek here, the verb to rebuke is the same verb for what Jesus does when when he encounters demons, which we learned all about last week. And the disciples' request for vengeance, in their request to call down fire from heaven on their enemies, Jesus sees something demonic, and he rebukes them. He reminds them that there can be no more vengeance, no more retaliation, no more harsh language. If you're like me, you may be a little scared after a court decision this week. 
If you're like me, you may be questioning everything and wondering what could possibly be next, embracing yourself for the next shoe to drop. We all know the stakes got higher this week, and the things we are being asked to do are no longer theoretical because it got real this week, very quickly. And it would be very easy for me to ask Jesus to call down fire from heaven on the people who would seek to deny basic rights in this country. On this and so many other issues, I grieve our inability to find a common sense approach on sensitive and complex topics. People, especially politicians, too often forget the human component. They speak of issues and sides, forgetting that people are impacted. Our calling is always to witness to the love of Christ, the love of Christ in every single person. We are to work for human thriving in the world, as that is God's desire for us. We can only do that by caring for one another in the weeks and months to come. The Reverend Mike Angel, a friend and an Episcopal priest in St. Louis, perfectly captured my position when he states, for what it's worth, you should know that I am pro-life. However, I simply cannot identify with a pro-life politics that is only concerned with the life of the unborn. I am pro-life because I believe every single child should know love. I am pro-life because I believe in weighing the real cost of human life before we declare war. I am pro-life because I believe that the state should not terminate the life of anyone, even a convicted murderer. I am pro-life because we should know why minority women more often die in childbirth. I am pro-life because we we should look at educational outcomes, at poverty and hunger. I am pro-life because life matters to God. The lives of the poor, the hungry, and the oppressed matter to God. I reject the narrow definition of pro-life we have allowed some other Christians to invent. I can be pro-life and pro-choice at the same time. I can be both of these things because of my own discipleship. Today, we were reminded that the way of discipleship, the way of being a follower of Christ, is not the way of hatred and revenge. Traveling with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem, the disciples, too, learn a deep truth about the Christian life. No more hate. No more retaliation. No more fire from heaven. Jesus teaches his disciples to love their enemies, to do good to those who hate them, and to pray for those who mistreat them. In fact, Jesus had just taught James and John these very lessons in the Sermon on the Plain before they had begun their journey through Samaria. And yet, we know there is a big difference between understanding the words and living the truth of the words. Traveling with Jesus on their journey to Jerusalem, the disciples learned the hard truth of loving their enemy. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. It was hard to do then, and it's hard to do now. But we are called to follow a Lord who did not call down fire from heaven on his enemies. We are called to follow a teacher who told us to bless those who curse us and pray for those who spitefully use us. We are called to follow Christ on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross, where he did not curse his enemies, but rather prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The theologian Richard Rohr gives us some insight here when he talks about our tendency to make Jesus into a mere religion instead of a journey toward a union with God. 
And he describes a shift here from following Jesus and worshiping him. He asserts that we have made a religion of, quote, belonging and believing instead of a religion of transformation. A religion of belonging and believing is concerned about who's in and who's out, about what specific doctrine people subscribe to, and about how they support the institution called the church. A religion of transformation, on the other hand, focuses on change, changing ourselves into more and more of whom God is calling each of us to be and changing the world around us into a more hospitable place for all of God's creatures. The work Richard Rohr is suggesting here is hard, yet what Jesus calls us to do is much harder. We can be like Elisha in our Old Testament reading today and ask for a double share of Elijah's spirit. We can wait around for the whirlwind to pull us into heaven, and we can hope for divine power to part the waters before us. Or we can settle down and do the work that is given to us, to share love, to spread joy, to wage peace, to foster patience, to nurture kindness, to exhibit generosity, to seek faithfulness, to cultivate gentleness, and to strive for better self-control, as Paul tells us in his letter to the Galatians. This is what it means to follow Jesus rather than to just worship him. To accept our baptismal calling to become dead to sin and alive unto righteousness. To seek by word and example, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, following our God along that path. This journey sets us on a path that may lead us directly into whirlwinds or even through the valley of the shadow of death. It will lead us from sin and death to the kingdom and everlasting life. This journey can and will leave a world behind us a little better, a little kinder, and a little safer. The journey that can and will leave us stronger, more spiritually fit, and better able to cope with whatever lies ahead. The Christian life is a quest It is a journey in which we discover our deepest and truest selves, the truth of who we are called to be and how we are to live together in this world. On the road to Jerusalem, following Jesus on his way of self-giving love, the first disciples learned that they must die to the old ways of anger and hatred and rise to the new life of forgiveness and love. This may not have seemed like a realistic way for first-century Jews traveling through Samaria to live, And it may not seem like a realistic way to live in our present-day world either. And yet, it may be our only realistic hope for the future. On a dusty road in the middle of hostile territory, some followers asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire down from heaven and consume them? Jesus turned to them and he rebuked them. They continued on their journey and Jesus said to them, follow me. Amen.